This is the Everyman Podcast. My name is Dan Doty, and this is episode 83. Before we dive into the details about this podcast, I'm going to tell you about the opportunities that you could come and hang out and come to an Everyman event and tell you about what's going on. The first and next thing that's happening is our Yellowstone National Park Wilderness Expedition. This is in the middle of June. It's coming up pretty quickly. We have exactly two tickets left, and we have some people beginning to vie for them and get in line for them. If anybody's been kind of hanging out, waiting out, and not sure, but is just really ready to pull the trigger, now is probably the time. These expeditions are eight days long. They begin with a couple nights in a lodge where we dive deep into everyman protocols, and we form a really badass, tight, well-knit, open, vulnerable like amazing group of men, like a team to go out in the woods and change your life. Cause that's what we're about to do. And then we go on a backpacking trip and it's straight up. It's uh, challenging. It's physically challenging. It's emotionally challenging. It's mentally challenging. Packs are usually, you know, 40 to 50 pounds and we hike roughly 10 miles a day. Uh, we climb a peak in the middle of the experience and all along we are really dropping deeper and deeper into who we really are. Uh, getting very real with one another in just kind of the best way, in the most straight up, you know, no hoopla, no real weirdness. Really, it's just straight up men getting to know themselves and each other. And it's life changing. It really is. And um, I'm really honored that we get to keep doing these. So June has a couple spots left. And then in August, we're doing one in Glacier National Park. I'm especially excited for this one. I've been in and through Glacier a little bit. That part of northwestern northern Montana has a real special place in my heart. I spent a lot of time west of there in the Cabinet Mountains. and That's kind of my, my secret, very happy place. But Glacier is just an astoundingly beautiful and rugged and raw place. And uh, I can't wait to go there. We have I think we have about a half dozen spots left there. If you have any questions about that, just reach out. That's info at everyman.com, and we can talk more. We can sort of go through your questions, any concerns you might have. It's a real, uh, it's a rugged experience, but it's also set that really anybody in moderately good shape can do it. It's not a boot camp. We're not out there to destroy you. Uh, nature does, nature's tough enough, right? We don't need to make it any tougher. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you there. I also get to do a pre-announcement here. I don't get to do it officially yet, but we're about to release two more dates for open source retreats. These are our two-day weekend retreats, which is really the, the bread and butter of our organization. We're going to do one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast, and they're going to be this summer, July and August. So keep tuned. And the best way to keep tuned is to sign up for our newsletter at everyman.com, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.com. Put your little name in the little box and then you'll be kept up to date with everything that's going on and you'll be on the leading edge of opportunities to get out in the woods, to get to a lodge, to to come hang out with us and uh, do what we're doing. One more event that I'll put out there is our next MELT training, which is men's emotional leadership training, which is really a facilitator training. If you want to run a men's group and you want to be a total badass while you do it, this is the training to come to. It's in October. It's in Petaluma, California at IONS. It's a cool place, um, and that is up on the website for sale as well. All right, to get into today's episode, Susan Olesic 
is one of my new heroes. I have a lot of heroes. I think I feel pretty lucky in that. But Susan runs a program called the Enneagram Prison Project where she works with inmates in prison to help liberate them, not from the jail, but to look to help liberate them from the jail of their own making. <laughs> if you go on their website, I highly suggest you go on their website right away, the Enneagram Prison Project.org. Um, I got so taken by that phrase, freeing people all over the world from the prisons of their own making. My God, that's just powerful. So here's what it is. Real quick, the Enneagram is a tool that's been developed that helps people learn about their basic habits, their basic nature, their their personality. This is a personality-driven uh, psychological graphic that sh- really just helps you identify some of your basic traits as a human. I was leery of these things for a long time time in my life or not necessarily leery but they just weren't a big part of who I was or or sort of how I looked at the world but just recently I've been doing some consulting uh, with FMG a badass corporate consulting firm and they use or we use the Enneagram in our coaching for in our corporate coaching and the corporate programming and lo and behold I dive into that tool to learn it to use it And, um, you know, it just kind of changed my life a bit and it really helped me get clarity really specifically in my marriage. And I'll talk about that in this episode a little bit, but my wife and I going through these exercises and really reading about each other from, from this place, from this angle really, really helped us. And I love employing this when I work with people, it's a great tool. Um, and you'll hear more about it in this episode. Susan is a master of this tool. It seems very obvious and she is using it to help people, incarcerated people. And I'm, I'm actually working now to get up to the Bay area to go with her and her team into a prison and see this stuff in action. I'm really pumped up about it. Uh, I think that Susan's story is just, I just think it's, it's, commendable it's it's honorable and and it's inspirational too she's doing really good work to help people and she's got a really amazing set of tools to do so so on that note thank you for being here thank you for following along pass this on to people follow us on instagram do all the things that you know you'd expect me to tell you to do i'd appreciate that and i really hope you enjoy the show today Well, I am so excited, and we're just going to dive right here. And you said, oh, my gosh, I already, I already forgot. Olesic? Susan Olesic? You I, got it. I, I want to create an app uh, where people get paid for pronouncing people's names right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would like to pay people to say Dodie and not Dottie. I would, I would uh, actually pay them a quarter. <laughs> yeah, I got it right. I got it right. <laughs> um, well, I'm so excited to to dive in here and, and speak about uh, several of the things that I think we, we both hold near and dear to us. And um, I, first of all, I'm going to introduce you before this, but I would love for you just to uh, share who you are and what you're passionate about and, and what you do uh, to start. We'll just use that as a starting starting point. Yeah, my name is Susan Olesic, and I'm the founder of Enneagram Prison Project, and I am in passionate pursuit of what's possible for people, and I've always been a lover of people. I studied sociology. I used to work in human resources. I have three children. I, 
I just really enjoy people, always have. Um, and I love to be able to, um, I guess, kind of midwife the best out of somebody into like into the world. And um, I've, I've seen um, amazing things happen with people that are um, just put in a position to get a little uh, more in touch with the things that are running them. And I love the Enneagram. So um, I'm a mom of three boys. I have a 21-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 14-year-old. I've been married for 22 years. And um, yeah, I'm just super excited to talk today. Oh, I didn't know you were a mother of boys. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. We're, uh, we're considering having a third, and the idea of having three boys terrifies me. <laughs> Oh, I'm all for it. You can yeah. do it. If anybody can do it, you can. <laughs> um, okay, amazing. So let's get a little snapshot on Enneagram Prison Project just to establish a little bit more about what that is. And then we'll probably move into the Enneagram itself because um, I have a lot of uh, passion around that myself right now. So yeah. yeah, tell us about it. Enneagram Prison Project is a nonprofit, and we're on a mission to help people to understand why they do what they do using the Enneagram. And we're all about transformation on both sides of the bars using self-awareness, self-regulation, and self-compassion. So um, one of our big core values is that we do the work together. Mm. And what we mean by that is <clears throat> being able to sort of uh, create enough presence so that we can tolerate what's in front of us and what's going on and um, to tell the truth about that. And it sounds, it sounds simpler than it is. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. We're a 501c3 and we're operating here in the Bay Area. So um, we have programs running in Santa Clara and San Mateo County Jail, San Francisco County, and um, also in San Quentin State Prison. And we are also running programs in Minnesota at Shakopee Women's Prison and around the globe in a couple of different countries. We have about five prison programs going in um, Belgium. Well, starting in the UK, we have a presence in Finland and we're looking and we're establishing our, um, our presence in Australia. So the Enneagram is something that is for everyone and it works across gender and culture and all of that. So uh, my vision for the Enneagram Prison Project is to be in every jail and every prison in the country and in the world because uh, everyone deserves to use this tool and there's plenty of prisons all over the place. So we're, we're like I said, we're on a mission to do that. Amazing. Okay. And so, so much, so much to get into here. I'm so curious about what uh, your program looks like in action. So, and so when you say on both sides of the bars, you're speaking about working with both prisoners and um, people who staff prisons and prison guards. Is that, is that yeah, good distinction? Good distinction. Yeah. We're a lot more with the former and we're just beginning to work with the latter. Um, what I really mean by that is that I have a consulting practice as a human potentialist and I started off teaching the Enneagram. Actually, one of the very first places I went was into prison and we can talk about that. Um, but over the years, I've developed a practice where I teach in, you know, I teach with very privileged people and, yeah young presidents of organization and Google and Adobe and places like that. Um, and then, but my heart is like 150 feet inside prison. And I, I sort of feel like a human bridge because I teach the same system no matter where I go. And I, I just, um, I might change a little bit of the language that I use just to make it more palatable for people. But sometimes I've been teaching in jail and I drive an hour and I change my shirt in the car and I end up at a, 
you know, $15 million mansion with the same Whoa. poster with a different logo on it. And so I really feel like when I'm inside, I'm telling my women or men stories about my white collar folks on the outside and to my white collar folks on the outside, I'm trying to tell them stories about the guys on the inside. Uh, and I feel like, um, well, I often tell people that the people, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to corporate kinds of people, I like, I like to tell sort of provocative stories. And a lot of times they're like, well, how do you, you know, how do you get them to build trust and how do you get them to open up to you? And finally, I'm, I often say, you know, who the hardest people are to teach is you guys, you know, the, because the people on the outside, we have a whole lot more high behind. We've got more bells and whistles and people on the inside have already admitted that that's not working. And so a lot of that stuff is out of the way. So oftentimes, uh, with, especially with a challenging client, but even just any old client that is wanting transformation, I love to go on a field trip and bring them into our programs and the, um, and to have them witness one another. Man, I would love to come see your programs. Okay, so a few things, <laughs> so many things came up. I think we should, I think we should first explain Enneagram um, simply and clearly um, before we go deeper into any of it, because I think that's important. And um, I also just realized that the reason, so Susan and I have been kind of going back and forth trying to find a time to, to chat for a while here. And I realized the faded, the fateful reason that it took until now to talk is that I just delivered uh, my first Enneagram-based corporate retreat Monday and Tuesday this week. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so I, I am, uh, I, I'm working as a, as a senior consultant with a consulting group called FMG, and uh, they employ the Enneagram pretty heavily. And so over the last six months, I have been learning and practicing and training and um, it's been a, a really, really uh, big learning for me to use that tool. And the last thing I'll say before we talk more about what it is specifically is that it has also transformed my marriage. Um, working with the Enneagram with my wife has been <laughs> it's just a game changer. So um, I am not an expert on it. I am learning about it. Um, how do you, what's your 30 second, one minute explanation? I'd love to hear it. Well, the Enneagram is a psychological tool. It's a system, actually, that helps to explain the repeating patterns that we have, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral patterns, which we all call personality. And um, I, think, I think of the Enneagram as like a map of ego structures. And I think of myself as a guide to help people to understand where on that map does, is their territory and what are the, like, the rocks and pitfalls. But um, I think any book that, any Enneagram book that you open will often make really obvious the negative parts of ourselves. And my approach with the Enneagram is that this, it's a system about what's right with you. Hmm. The part of ourselves that we forgot and forgetting is the human condition. So I use that tool as a way to invite people to remember those best parts of themselves. Mm, amazing. Yeah. The, would you call it a psychographic? Is it, is it, what does that, that mean? I, it's a, you know, Myers-Briggs is a psychographic, uh, okay. some of those other tools that, you know, corporate trainers and people use. Yeah. Uh, 
I guess if that's what a psychographic is, I, I haven't heard that term, but I, I think that Myers-Briggs and colors and mm-hmm. all these other sort of systems, they work and they, there's um, validity to them because they identify the patterns and people are absolutely pattern machines. You just have to spend a second inside of yourself to recognize how we, oh God, I do that same thing over and over again. What's different, I think, and that's important, Dan, is to differentiate that what the Enneagram does that the other tools don't is it, it identifies the motivation that precedes the behavior. It's the why before the what. And I don't know another tool that can do that. So, okay, amazing. So to to lay this out, and I would just, I would suggest anybody listening that that gets curious here, um, do some, do some looking. So to basically lay it out, there's nine types on the Enneagram. Um, and each type is correlates with a uh, man. I don't a personality imprint, say, or or, or pattern imprint. Um, and you know, it might be worthwhile. Do can we just go through just briefly either a couple of the numbers or just an overview of what they are? Because I think I think that's really valuable for yeah. And we can come back to them in different ways, but yeah, I mean. I think that um, I, I remember, you know, one through nine, but different uh, teachers and schools of thought have put different labels around them. Mm. I'm, um, I'm a fan of using a bunch of labels because I think that they are sort of a shortcut. They create a picture, but um, mm-hmm. I try not to, uh, I try to ask people not to get too attached to them. But um, one way that you can understand the Enneagram is that it breaks down into triads and three different centers of intelligence. And we can talk about that too, but start to just go all the way around. Um, I'm a type one on the Enneagram and ones we call the idealist or the reformer. Um, And ones come to teach the rest of us about, about goodness and about um, the way, about the way things could be. And there's a real intelligence in in that about type ones and type twos, we call the helper um, sometimes the giver and type twos come to teach the rest of us about love and about how to love people and nurture. And type three, we call the performer or the doer, um, the achiever sometimes. And type threes come to teach the rest of us about hope. They know how to get things done and they have a way of motivating, motivating other people to do that too. And type fours come to teach, what we call the four, the, um, the romantic or the artist or uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, you don't have to be an artist to, to be a four, but fours come to teach the rest of us about beauty and depth and meaning. And um, often because fours feel those things so deeply, they become artistic. They're translating those things. And type five is the type that we call the um, investigator or the, I'm trying to think of another name off the top of my head. Um, and fives come to teach the rest of us about clarity. They have a way of knowing things that, and, and clarifying things and um, making things understandable. Um, type six, we call the loyalist or the loyal skeptic. Um, and sixes come to teach the rest of us about a weakness. And um, they see things, understand things, and translate things in a way that is really needed. They know how to know how to question reality. Um, type six, we call the epicure. Sometimes the enthusiast. And sorry, seven. Type seven, we call the epicure. Or seven. Seven. seven, seven. Yeah. The, yeah. Or type seven, we call the epicure or the enthusiast. And um, sevens come to teach the rest of us about joy. And sevens are like the Pied Piper. We follow them all over the place. Hmm. Married to seven, so I'm partial there. 
And type eight, we call the boss or the protector. And type eights come to teach the rest of us about truth and about justice. And they have a way of valuing that so much they, they tend to bring things to truth and justice. And type nine, we can't forget nine. Nines are the, the peacemaker, sometimes called the mediator. And type nines come to teach the rest of us about being. Mm. And you get the sense when you're around a type nine that things are okay. And they bring that, they get sort of like a diplomatic translator of different perspectives across the way. My mom's a nine. I grew up with that as my mom. It was a good, it was a good mom number. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is a good mom number. So, so I may, thank you for that. So yeah, the nine types, and that's just the, man, that's just the tip of the iceberg to, so just for people, the real basic is there's a way to, there's multiple ways to find out what your type is. There's um, assessments or tests you can take. Uh, some of them are very accurate. Some of them are partially accurate. And then um, I'm guessing, Susan, you also are able to live type people or sort of sort of ask people questions and. and yeah, definitely. Of, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of tests, but I do use two of them very frequently. One being the essential Enneagram test by Dr. David Daniels, um, right. which is in a little skinny yellow book. And another one being the Riso Hudson Enneagram type indicator, which comes from Don Riso and Russ Hudson. And you can find that on enneagraminstitute.com. And I think that both of those are really helpful in getting you in the right territory. Uh, but the best way to know your type is to study the Enneagram, to study the system. And I really think the, it takes uh, a bit of guidance to try to end up in the accurate territory. There's a lot of lookalikes and there are nine of them. Sometimes trying to find our type is more like a process of knowing what I'm not. And, and often I feel that when people will kind of get a sense of them, they read those nine paragraphs and they'll say, well, I'm like, I'm really, really sure I'm not that, that one. And then I say, yeah. like, careful, because that, that very well might be the one. The one we don't want to be may actually be the type that we are. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I think my wife has dealt with that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, did I tell you what, what type I am? I think you told me you're an eight. Is that right? Yeah, I'm an eight with a seven wing and we don't have to explain the wings right now, but yes, I, I am an eight. Um, and okay, good. So, so that's just, that's the basis. That's the sort of, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how this system really um, brings more awareness, brings more, uh, humanity, I guess, however you want to say it. And I'll just, I'll lead with an example for myself. One thing that I've really learned and has been very helpful for me um, in describing. So as an eight, um, I think that uh, a negative way to talk about an eight is that they're, you know, can be dominating, can be domineering and sort of uh, power forward. And uh, I, I know that I can have those qualities. I can, I can definitely be a, a bruiser <laughs> to put it lightly. Uh, and one of the things that has been so, so I actually really love the Riso Hudson, the Enneagram Institute website and some of the, like the books that that camp has put out has been for whatever really has worked for me really well. Um, and one of the coolest things that, that the Enneagram helps is it helps you see where you tend to go when you're healthy and balanced and where you tend to go when you're not at your best or you're stressed or things like that. And so um, 
when I am healthy and balanced, uh, an eight moves toward the qualities of a two, which is the lover or the connected, the, the heart based. Um, so I guess what that means to me, sort of, I kind of look back and, and laugh. So as an eight with these sort of strong tendencies, in order to be healthy and balanced, I lean toward vulnerability uh, and I lean toward connection with others. And, uh, you know, I can kind of look back at my life and, you know, see what I do with every man specifically as a, a very helpful. Uh, so to me, that's just kind of like a fit that sort of shows to me how the Enneagram has works for me or how it makes sense to me. It's like, cause I, cause I know that's true for me. Like if I'm, uh, if I'm out of balance uh, for me to ask for help or for me to, uh, you know, slow down and um, connect with, with somebody else is generally a great direction to go. So that's just one example for how it's impacted me. Yeah. And I like what you're bringing in that I think um, people could get lost if they're new to the Enneagram about what are the wings and arrows and what does all that stuff mean? So I don't want to, I don't think we want to overwhelm anybody, but it is important to understand that the Enneagram is dynamic and that um, people aren't, we're not uh, putting people in boxes. We're more sort of identifying which ones they're in so that they can get out of that box. People tend to be very dualistic and think that the way I see things is the way that things are. And of course it is, a slice of how things are. Each one of those nine perspectives is valid, but they're not the whole prism. So we're just yeah. trying to help people to have, you know, kind of get the blinders off and, and to see more of what's out there. And so um, if anyone's looking at the Enneagram, you can see that there's a line between type eight, your type Dan and type mm -hmm. two. And so there's a connection there. There's also a line to type five if I'm a type eight and there's another connection there. And then the wings are the types on either side. So just to say that we all have um, all, we all have all of it. The Enneagram is actually a circle and that whatever type we identify with is really just an entry point into that whole world, that whole diagram. And um, the more, I think that when we meet people, I, 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 you did tell me your type somehow on our email exchange, but I didn't, um, I didn't necessarily feel it right out of the hopper, you know, which I think says something about the work you've done, right? If somebody's not clobbering you with their personality type, it means that they've worked on some of those edges. And mm. hopefully people can see that we're a lot more than we are, whatever type we are. And I tend to feel like it's quite a compliment if somebody can't tell or they think I'm some other type because that shows me, well, great, my type one thing is not running the show as, as loudly as it used to, perhaps. That's what I like to tell myself. I don't know if that's the case. Lovely. No, I love that. Yeah, thank you. So what is the lowest hanging fruit that when you're working with people in prisons or in this $15 million mansion, what's the like lowest hanging fruit that you see the lights popping on for people? Over and over? Uh, I think everybody relates to doing something that they don't want to be doing. And mm -hmm knowing that they're doing it, but not being able to stop. And I, I have never met a human being who doesn't have that experience inside of themselves. Mm. That's often how I start off talking about the Enneagram and say, you know, how is this for you? You know, New Year's Eve, we wake, make a list and then <laughs> maybe, maybe on the second, we've already done it. And so why is that? And how is it that we stop? And, um, so like I said earlier, the Enneagram helps us to see what is that pattern. Um, but uh, in addition, especially if we get into the type that's accurate for us and, and usually a little uncomfortable, we start to see that the basic building block of personality came from our childhood. And um, all of the, um, the things that 
sort of originated, we can go back there and find that there was some sort of core um, wounding, if you will. I'm sure you, you could use that word in the work that you do. And, um, and if we can understand that, that every human behavior is an attempt to feel loved, all human behavior is trying to do the same thing. Um, even when I'm murdering somebody, then we can have compassion for the thing that I'm, not only the thing that I'm doing and the understanding of why I'm doing it, but what's driving it in the first place. So what, like I said earlier, um, I, I just like to, to start with the, the basic human condition and how we all can get stuck in doing these things that we don't want to be doing. Wow. I, can, we, can we rewind 10 seconds and talk about how uh, the act of murder could be a, in a driven by wanting to be loved. That just, that's a big, beautiful, wild statement. Can we explore that a little? Yeah. I just kind of came out of my mouth and what do I feel about that so much? You know, I work with um, a circle of men in San Quentin every Monday um, and many of them are serving, serving life sentences for murder or all kinds of things that are, you know, horrible acts that have happened. And what I know in working with people is that when, when people uncover um, the thing that was driving that behavior, and that, of course, is what the parole board really wants to know. Do you have insight about why this happened mm. in the first place? Mm. Um, some of these men who have done really, and air quotes, done the work, um, and it's never done, but they've really gone into and investigate that. What they see is that um, without question, everyone that's um, sitting in there with those kinds of sentences has had some sort of profound um, thing done to them in childhood. Mm. So these are people who have been tortured, people who have witnessed horrendous things, things that you would never wish or want for a child to experience and as a result are carrying around tremendous pains and traumas that have never had any kind of resolution, nor have they had any idea how to even begin to heal it. And, um, and so if I am in so much pain that I have no words for it, then uh, often I'm acting it out, right? Which is what we see starting in elementary school and on up. And so murdering somebody um, is, is, a, is an attempt to eradicate this pain, right? By by acting it out on somebody else. I hurt, so you must hurt too. It's not conscious, it's not acceptable, I'm not excusing it, but it is understandable. Mm -hmm. And so um, what we use the Enneagram for in, in that example, I guess is just to, is that we can, we can, if we can't really change anything that we can't see. And so it helps us to see what's happening and we can't, and then we can actually begin to understand and change and grow and heal. Uh, that feel like that one minute or however long you just shared that is um, one of the most important things <laughs> maybe I'll just put that on loop for this entire podcast and every episode that I ever play again will just be that 45 seconds on loop um, I think that's really beautiful so you know, well, I, I want to jump in and say I've thought so much about you and the work that you do and I feel like um, I have a hope, and I mean, you just said I got to go to prison. I, I hope you know you're invited. I would love to have you come mm -hmm. in and, and see what's happening there and, and let it touch your heart, because I know it would, and it already does. Yeah. But I, I feel like we have graduates from our program who, who do get out, and they are extraordinary, and I would love for them to get to experience your work on the outside, too. 
Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. So I worked with, um, I worked in the adjudicated system specifically in the state of Minnesota for a handful of years. And, and I led wilderness trips for, um, young men who were locked up and they were you know, youngest was about 14, 15 and the oldest was usually 19. And, uh, you know, what you just described, um, took a core belief and feeling and understanding I've had for 15 years and uh, pushed it to new levels of clarity and understanding for me. And where, where it used to be for me was um, I worked with these young men who hurt other people and through various means, right? You know, different ways. And, um, and it was so overwhelmingly crystal clear to me that uh, the the pain that they had gone through was the root and that's actual compassion and uh you know basically a a measure of both compassion and accountability or responsibility uh is to always felt to me like the right direction and um i i know that's a lot for people to maybe take in um but i do have a hope that uh that can become that 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 understanding people can slow down enough on a on a wider level to truly understand that that's what's going on right well i think people are they people tend to be compassionate when it comes to children mm. you know, when we're talking about working with kids in juvie and people who are in camps and and even in the wilderness programs that you were leading people tend to have a heart for that mm. but somehow our hearts close when it becomes an adult who's done these things and i think what people just are missing is just this bridging of recognizing that we were all once children and that we somehow were not there for these children when these things happened to them. And that um, it, there is, like, we give up the culpability, I think, as a society to say, well, if we weren't there for them for whatever reasons, then, um, then couldn't we, and I dare I say, shouldn't we be there for them now, you know? And I think the reason that we don't want to take that responsibility is because we don't have a good tool. We don't have a good system, but I do think the Enneagram, and of course I'm biased, but the work that Enneagram Prison Project is committed to doing is, is providing that. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and I also think, are you familiar with the documentary, The Work? It's, it's the... Yeah, I am. Is that San Quentin that they were yeah, in? It is. It, it is. I think so. Yeah. I, I watched it briefly and I do believe so. Yeah. Um, we actually just this last week got a, a handwritten letter from an inmate in Colorado um, asking if, if we could help him create a men's group inside his prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my vision for every man in the, in the big picture is to uh, support this human to human connection in all institutions, right? Schools, mm-hmm. junior highs, prisons, well, virtual, I- all of that. But it's such, a, it's such an obvious, um, to me, partnering, right? Like that yeah. you, you would bring your work in yeah. to where it all starts because um, I think that on the inside, people have some of those basic, you know, hierarchy of needs taken care of, right? They're not worrying about where they're going to live, even though they might be living in a heinous place or yeah. a hard place. They have their food. They have all those basic things taken care of. So hearts can open and healing can happen. And that for you to then be there on the outside, I think is extraordinary. What, what drove your, your passion? I have a guess. I have a guess as, as to sort of what, what has driven your specific passion for working 
um, in prisons, but what was it? What is it? Well, I know that hurting people hurt. So I, w I am one of those people that was hurting. Um, I come from trauma and I, I didn't uh, understand why I was um, working so hard to get out of myself. Um, I have, uh, when, I was, when I was a child, I had a mother who committed suicide when I was five and I was the youngest of four children and um, no one knew how to, um, no one knew how to support that or heal that or hold that. And we did our best and we survived. And my dad was, you know, tremendous and had um, people around me that loved me and also people around me that didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so um, I was already a type one before that happened. Cause I, I can talk about sort of the origin of personality beforehand, but uh, I really had to lean into my personality in order to survive. I think personality is a survival system. It's a, it's a, structure that we use to armor our hearts. And so I, I somehow internalized that she must have done that because of me. And I think that's a very human childlike response that um, when our parents do something that's intolerable as children, we know that we, we need them to be okay so that we can survive. So if they're doing something that's intolerable, we somehow make it about ourselves, not about them. So I, I just think psychologically, that's what I did. It took me a long time to figure out how much I did that. Wow. And, um, well, that statement that personality is a protective system, that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. can, can we sink into that just a little bit more? I think that's like, that's, uh, it's in huge. Yeah. Well, how, yeah. How else might that show up? Or well, how? you have a child, right? You have a five month old. Yeah. So, and you just, you probably can still do this, but if you're holding your five month old in arms and you look at that baby, what do you see? Just pure love and light. Right. <laughs> just ease. Right. Yeah. Says, the, says the tough guy ate, right? Like you're just yeah. so tender, right? That's of course, oh. see, not just because you're open, but because that is what's in a child. And that's yeah. so clear. So all of us start like that. Yeah. In utero, there's, I mean, like we could debate it, but how, do, when does that sort of spark of soul or whatever come into a child? Mm -hmm. the, the wisdom of the Enneagram book is our book of um, our textbook inside jails and prisons. And they call that a divine spark, which I like that term. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel when I saw, when I had my babies, I just would look at them for hours thinking, seeing all that light in them and everybody starts like that. So when we are born, if we have, we already have a temperament also. We have a, you know, that inborn animal nature. Mm -hmm. I have a type eight son, actually. He's my, my middle son who's um, six foot five. And um, he came on time, eyes open, screaming, I'm here, deal with me, right? And he's always <laughs> been like that. And that's the temperament of the eight. I didn't make him like that. And I could, yeah. if I could have early on, I might've tried to make him not like that, yeah. right? Yeah, he, he just brings that and my temperament is different. My temperament is more sort of compliant and other temperaments are more withdrawn. Mm. So we have this energy. And if we have a, a, a parent that needs us in arms and, and, and receives us and says, you're amazing. Like, who are you? And let me, let, me, let me adjust to you and make room for you. Then that divine spark can be what it's meant to be. And when we went all the way around those nine types, like the eights can bring their truth and their strength, right? And if I have a present caretaker that's attached and attuned and loving and present and available to me, then I can, that parent can sort of gently push back because the eights need to push and they can um, gently make room for a nine because a nine, you know, is so 
um, able to feel everybody else and that the parent can attune to the child and what they need. But how many of us really got that? Yeah. Not, not all of us get that. So yeah. the last piece of this is I think that based on whatever that relationship is, if we, um, the attachment part is so key about how personality develops because a lack of attachment means that it's not safe for me to be who I am and I can't just, you know, unfold the way I do. So if I'm a type three, I, I try to perform for you and get the love that way. And if I'm a type two, I try to take care of other people. If I'm a type one, I try to get it right. And if I'm in all the way around the diagram. Mm. And um, so that's like the beginning of the closing of our heart and the armoring of it with a, what we call a personality structure. It's intelligent because we know we want to be loved. Yeah. Man. Yeah. You have a real, you have an amazing way to describe this stuff. Um, I, yeah, I almost see, you know, what I just, I was actually just up in the Bay area and, uh, I met with the Shanti branch of, um, what's his organization called? The, oh, Shanti, I'm so sorry. I'm forgetting the name of your organization, but he works with young men in, in schools and his big project is, um, he was, he was kind of, in my view, the star of the documentary, the masks, uh, we live in or the mask you live in. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I just sort of, he's doing this awesome project right now where um, he's getting young people to describe the, the mask or the shell or the protective thing that they, that they know they wear and then what's underneath it. But what, what I hear you saying, it's even a deeper, deeper sort of un, unconscious thing also is that our personality is, is literally this form or shape of us that's there to, um, I don't know, inter- protect from the, the world that's not always perfect for us it's, it's well, beautiful there's a beautiful uh quote in in this book i have right here the wisdom of the enneagram that we always refer to and um and i just if i can i'll just paraphrase it it's in front of me and um it talks about the um the birthright and i think as children we know it's our birthright to be loved and mm. this book don reese and russ hudson say always remember that it's your birthright and natural state to be wise and noble, loving and generous, to esteem yourself and others, to be creative and constantly renewing yourself, to be engaged in the world in awe and in depth, to have courage and to rely on yourself, to be joyous and effortlessly accomplished, to be strong and effective, to enjoy peace of mind, and to be present to the unfolding mystery of your life. And that's all the way around the Enneagram, that little paragraph. So we know that that's our right. And when that's not our experience, if, if we knew at age two that whatever mom and dad fighting outside of me was not part of, was not because of me, but it was just a part of what was happening yeah. and we knew how to stay present, we would keep our hearts open. But because we, we you know, it's actually not safe for us to be present in that moment. It's intelligent for us to armor up and to go do something else. We shut down a little bit, but the shutting down is meant to be temporary, right? It's a, mm. it's a, but it becomes a pattern. It becomes a habit because it worked. And so then we start to think, um, we start to be in the habit of shutting down our heart so often that we start to think that's our natural state of being. And it's right. actually quite the contrary. But to recognize that is, it takes a lot of pulling apart. And that's why the Enneagram is quite helpful because if I can see that I'm a five on the Enneagram, which means that I have a really open mind and a very sensitive nature and I have a really generous heart. Mm -hmm. Um, But my habit is to be 
able to withdraw from everybody and go up in my mind and think my way out of things so that I don't have to feel and recognize that I have both, right? I have, I have both. If I, if I can become present to those things, then I have a lot more freedom and I have a lot more power, personal power, which is why teaching the Enneagram inside jails and prisons is so uh, to me riveting because we ask our students all the time, how many of you would like more personal power? Every single hand goes up because look where we're sitting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you have a, I'm curious, um, would you be able to sort of uh, light up or, or share, uh, you know, obviously without names or anything and protecting people's confidentiality, just an example of either in prison, or I guess I'd be curious, like, you said something earlier about uh, working with the more affluent um, people outside the prison. I'd, I'd be curious to hear your perspective or a couple of stories, like how, how, just to really light this up for people, like what you've seen happen um, for somebody inside the prison system and what maybe you've seen happen for somebody in a different part of society as well. Yeah, thanks for the question. Well, the first one's um, where my heart goes first and yeah. we have people who, um, I mean, we teach about 6,000 people per year. So we've taught 165 classes over the last decade. And that's eight, 10, 12, 20 week programs. So people go through those courses. And the people who really get what we're talking about in a deep way and fall in love with the Enneagram and well, really they fall in love with themselves, then um, we lean into them because we, we, when those people get out, we make them, uh, we have an ambassador program. So they become ambassadors of EPP. And they speak for us around the world or, um, yeah, or what have you. And so um, we have a handful of people like that. And one, one man in particular, well, so many of them, but um, one man in particular is a guy named Alex, and he's a type nine. And he's your mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, nines are the mediator or the peacemaker. And um, Alex grew up in the project's um, in Compton, and he, who um, was struggling, not in a supportive relationship whatsoever, and he got beaten. And uh, when he was, you know, when he was just a child, but even before that, because his behavior was too much, he had um, beer in his baby bottle, so mm -hmm. he was pretty much medicated to to not be a big deal, even though he was a type nine, which is already a child that doesn't want to make um, too big a deal out of themselves and doesn't want to. Being, create any any waves and so that became how he grew up and he was a full-blown alcoholic before he was six and he was you know um trying to avoid getting hit with all kinds of belt buckles and all kinds of things when he was when he was just a, a little guy and so then he became part of a gang by the time he was seven eight he was running the streets and and then he, he was, he will say about himself, he was the kind of gang member that you would fear. And he is a big man. Yeah. And um, the thing about Alex is that a lot of people see the light in him. And um, his habit was to, of course, guard that heart. So he didn't see the light in himself for a long, long time. But he got a scholarship to um, go to San Jose State and um, play football and uh, all kinds of things. And um he, he would have these moments where he would kind of be able to tolerate his own light. And then he would shut back down to that too, because it would just be too overwhelming. So I met him in jail. Uh, he served almost 26 years in and out of all kinds of institutions, 
by the time I met him. And he was so completely sick of himself, mm. the way we all get, right? I've been really sick of myself. Yeah. And so um, he, he just, he struck me from the beginning. He's, uh, he's a man of the cloth and he didn't think the Enneagram was something he could trust. And he thought it was too, I don't know about the symbol, but to his credit, he stayed with it. And he started to figure out not only that he was this peaceful, loving, nurturing sort of um, personality style, but that the reason that he couldn't be in contact with that came all the way back to the way he started out in his life. And what, um, I, what the Enneagram helped him to realize was that that was a prison made for him in childhood. That wasn't his choice. Mm. And so uh, people often say, you know, you do that crime, you do the time. And it's a very punitive perspective. And although there's something important and valid about consequences, truly there is. Um, people, like I said, we were talking about earlier, sort of forget about the childhood part. So when he began to make peace with the fact that that was sort of um, something that he didn't have a lot of choice for, then he could have take more responsibility for the habit, habitual way that he ended up in that personality now. So Alex um, has stayed with uh, Enneagram Prison Project as an ambassador since his release. He's not recidivated. He's been out, um, which I know exactly, I, I want to say going on four years. And um, he recently went back to San Quentin through the front gate. And we have a, a film on EnneagramPrisonProject.org where you can see him. It's called Meet Alex. And it's tremendous. And when he comes in to San Quentin, you should see the men in our class sit on the edge of their seat and listen to this guy. And I always joke, Dan, I'm like some white lady with a poster and a good idea. But if I bring Alex Senegal in with me, who do you think they're listening to? Like me or them, right? Him, right? Of course. And, um, and so, and I, I also have brought Alex to other, other you know, hoity-toity white collar places to speak because he is the real deal. And there are many ambassadors, you know, just like him. Oh my gosh, well, that's insane. How about the other end of the spectrum? Where have you seen this from, from some, you know, rich, powerful corporate type? Well, I would say this, that the Enneagram works when people are curious and when they're open. Mm -hmm. The Enneagram is not some magic system. And I like to think I'm a decent facilitator, but I'm also not a magician. So mm -hmm. it's not as though um, the Enneagram is so powerful that it will muscle down the you know, biggest corporate executive. I've sat in many beautiful offices with many closed-minded executives who yeah. cannot see what Alex saw because I think the trappings or uh, maybe the trappings uh, since their own childhood, right, are too big, too great. And um, I've learned over time to not take any of that personally. And it's not really up to me to help anybody to see more than they're willing to see. Mm. But what I have found is that um, like through, well, through Summit, which is how I connected with you and through yeah. YPO and through Blue Bottle and through Google and through all these are clients that I've worked with. They're amazing, compassionate, brilliantly curious people who are willing to recognize that they are exactly like Alex Senegal. And so part of my schooling in the beginning, the first Enneagram um, certification that I got was through the narrative Enneagram. And that's my, um, my training to help uh, to use the narrative tradition to really let types speak for themselves. Yeah. And so we create panels of like my, um, of similar, of all types, like a panel of, 
five fours, for example, or right. people who identify as the same type. And then I ask them questions about how they see the world and their perspective illustrates to the people on the panel, oh my God, you know, you see it like I do. And then also to the class that's looking at them, wow, they really think the world works that way. And for all of us that we get that different kind of perspective. So one of my favorite things to do is to bring people into some of our classes in, in jail or in prison and have them sit side by side on panel because really, the pattern of a type nine, whether I'm, I fell asleep to myself and murdered my wife or fell asleep to myself and had an affair on the outside, it's like all the same kind of dysfunction. It's just yeah, varying yeah. degrees. And so that happens all the time. We love to bring people in who are exemplars of their own experience. And our, our basic uh, bar that we set for people is if you're going to come in, what type are you? Because that's our common, you know, our common denominator. We all have one of those. <laughs> I keep getting this image and I'm curious as to if you think that it's appropriate or not. So I'm, I'm kind of asking myself the question. So, um, you know, for people that take away listening to this, like, what does it do? What is it? Like, what, actually, what are we talking about? The, what the image I get is like, I'm picturing like a huge amphitheater or even like a huge football stadium and it's completely dark and there's one spotlight that illuminates like one 10 foot circle and like, and I'm standing in the middle of it. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is me. Like, like all of me fits in here and this is what I'm like and this is how the world works and this is my universe. I feel like what the Enneagram has done for me and what I've seen it for other people is to start to turn the lights on to other parts. And then as you keep exploring, more lights come on, more spotlights, more things light up. Like, and I just feel like it's this beautiful um, experience of possibility and, and knowing that the whole spectrum, like that, that I'm not just one way. I'm not just this, this specific thing. Like I have, you know, I might be very, uh, analytical, but guess what? I have a big heart too, and I can let myself, and it's just this filling out of the spectrum. And then, you know, I think the, uh, the vision or the dream for me is like, yeah, turn those lights on. And then, you know, it's not just an amphitheater anymore. It's the whole, it's the whole, everything. It's the whole world. Does that, does yeah. that like fit for you, that analogy? It's beautiful. I really love how you described that and painted that word picture. And I can see actually that's exactly what it is, right? Different lights come on and they come on in different corners in different surprising ways. And, um, and that's the freedom piece that we're really talking about, you know, that if I, if, if there's a trigger and I have my automatic response to it, so if I'm an eight and somebody yells, I yell back like, boom. And if, if I'm a one and somebody yells, I figure out what I do wrong and how to fix it, you know. And if I'm a, a two and somebody yells at me, I might think, how do I help them? And those automated responses, mm -hmm. that's not who we are. And that's what yeah. we think. We think that's who I, that's just who I am. And I say, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think that there's something before that. And Viktor Frankl has that beautiful quote between stimulus and response. There's a pause. Yeah. And pause is our freedom. So if there's a trigger, and I can, and I have my automatic response. Now I'm in prison, right? Yeah. That's the prison that I, I respond to all the time. But if I can take a breath and get grounded and feel my feet and register where I am, now I actually can choose. Maybe I do need to yell back. Maybe there's something consciously I want to say, or maybe I actually need to let go and go somewhere. 
But even if I am doing the exact same response as I normally do, doing that when I'm grounded and present and open and available to myself is entirely different. Yeah. And that's when I have choice. That, that's so, yeah, that's so amazing. I, it's, it's, it's really cool for me. So I feel like, you know, simply it's this, what's, it's such an incredible way to simply learn about yourself and expand one's possibilities. And there's two, there's two, I just want to share two personal things that have been so impactful in the past, literally a couple months, maybe even six weeks. And uh, so that book that you shared the quote from, uh, I was reading about my type and the thing that hit me more than anything was that as an eight or sort of knowing my tendencies, what I, what I need to look out for, one of the things that is a, it just, when I hear this in my head or when I sense this in myself, I just catch myself and stop myself. And it's this, it's like, in order, I just need to work harder. I need to push harder. I need to uh, like use more force to get, to make things happen, to get what I want to full. And that's the belief. That's, that's the, core the belief. belief. That's the belief. And when I catch myself in the act of that, it's, the most magical helpful thing in the world and i'm like whoa dude stop that stop that's not it like that's that's just not it and then it, that's that gap right so so for for me that just reading that on the page i can actually see it in my mind on the page where i read it I'm like it was like such a lightning bolt of like no more pushing hard when it's not appropriate right and it's so powerful and the other one the other and i really want to share this too because um, you know, my wife and I have a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Like we're so connected and, and I think like, uh, I feel so grateful for it. And it's, it's been both through, I think a lot of work on both of our parts, but, um, when I, when we did the Enneagram together and we literally took a couple hours and sat down and read and asked questions and talked about it, like, it, 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 it almost felt like magic. There's parts of her personality and parts of her things that, they would just drive me bananas no matter how much I tried to slow down or feel or all this stuff. But like something happened in reading her type where I went from being uh, annoyed to just deeply appreciative mm. of parts of her, just right. deeply immediately appreciative of who she is. Right. And what type is your wife, Dan? She's a four with a five wing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think that what you're describing, I hear over and over, I've experienced myself. And if Rick was sitting here, we would say the Enneagram saved our marriage. Like we absolutely have learned to survive based on our personalities. And we recognize that's so limiting yeah. and that personality actually isn't personal is such a revelation. And even in deeply committed relationships, we get into these ruts, right? Where we just start to feel like you're doing this to me and actually has nothing to do with us. Yeah. And that really, really um, crystallized a lot. And we did a lot of therapy, you know, deep into our relationship. And um, when we started to realize, I remember, I remember the therapist that said, are you willing to take 100% emotional responsibility? And um, I was so annoyed because I thought, I'm paying you. Of course, I'm willing to take 100% emotional responsibility. And she was so brilliant to ask the question. And I, I was well into teaching the Enneagram before anybody ever asked me that. Even though I was teaching it, I still hadn't gotten this component. And I realized that I was willing to take 100% emotional responsibility until I felt Rick was being a jerk. And then all my responsibility was like all his fault. And that was so convenient. And that's what she meant. 
And when we finally got a hold of it, I realized, oh, you may be trying to achieve your birthright, right? In some sort of behavioral fashion that's going up against my own belief. And once I recognized that I could disentangle myself and I could do my own work and say like, it's not up to him to change in order for me to have a good experience today. That's my job. Wow. Blew my mind. Game game changer. Game changer. I'm going to, um, I'm going to make a bold statement that I actually think that um, Enneagram and this work should be uh, primary, should be taught in schools from an early, I think this is, this, this needs to be widespread. This needs, this, this changes everything. I would agree with you, Dan. And I will say this just in closing, um, there is a school to prison pipeline and I'm onto that. And our next population we're going to work with is in Juvie. Um, and I actually teach, I volunteer to teach the Enneagram in a local high school. Um, I, we've, I've been doing that for the last three years. We start off by just teaching them who they are. They have to write a senior statement. And I don't know how anybody could ever write a senior statement without knowing their Enneagram type because yeah. I'm biased that way. Yeah. And then I bring a panel of ambassadors in. And then there's a senior where they come in and they see the work live. And it's been really transformational, I think, on, on, in many different ways. So there's another one of those coming up. And I, I really think that if more ambassadors of Enneagram Prison Project could sit in front of more high school students, then, you know, and I'm talking about privileged schools, right? But there are plenty of schools that um, could take a look at their own drug use of their own students and recognize these are hurting kids coming from very affluent families. It's not a problem that's, you know, particular to people who come up in the projects. Yeah, know thyself. Who said that? So- so- Socrates? Socrates? Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can't thank you enough for, for being here. I feel like uh, so many ideas come up. I, I want to figure out how we can integrate some of the Enneagram work into every man. I think that it's something that would be very helpful to all of the guys doing our work. Um, well, any way that I can support and the Enneagram yeah. Prison Project can support what you guys are doing. We are huge fans, and I feel so honored that you would even bring this conversation into your listenership. Thank you. And how can we support you? That's actually what most our guys want to know. How can we give back? What can we do to serve? Well, the fact that you have such uh, so many circles of present, attuned, loving men to welcome other people into the community, I feel like there's a, an easy, natural partnership. So I just would love to lean into that and um, and bring you more into the fold of what we're doing with our curriculum so that we can, you know, have this this partnership just emerge and see what wants to happen. Amazing. And as a 501c3, do you have, do you have ongoing fundraising efforts? Is there anything, if anybody's really lit up, is there somewhere you can point them? Yes, we are actually. And you can, you can contribute at enneagramprisonproject.org. Um, we are in a place where we are at an inflection point where we have um, a wait list and demand at every institution where we program. We're looking to do more and we need uh, an influx of dollars to be able to move to the next level. And we're really ready to scale in earnest. So we're looking for fiscal partners who can help us to make us the organization that we're ready to be. My recommendation is anybody listening, do, do, get into the Enneagram, learn about yourself and then give, give Susan's organization some money. Just do it. <laughs> So that's that's my recommendation. As an eight, I'm just going to tell you to do that. Go so. eight. We love. We, this is where we really love the eight. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to see you next in prison, right, Dan? Definitely. Let's make it happen. I'm I'm all in on that. So awesome. Thank you so much for letting me be here today with you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. This was wonderful. Take care. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Personally, my favorite book on the Enneagram is called The Wisdom 
of the Enneagram by Russ Hudson and Don Richard Riso. That's kind of like the big one. There's a lot of, there's a lot in there. That's kind of a deep dive. Uh, I found that very, very cool, very, very helpful. There's a lot of resources out there. You can take online tests to find out which type you are. It's a cool rabbit hole that you can go down fairly endlessly. Uh, but yeah, check it out. If you're so called, there's some good, there's some good fruit in there. Um, Thank you for listening. Go to our website, everyman.com. Sign up for a newsletter. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, all the different things. Have a great week. Have a great day. Thanks a lot.